So what you're calling brain cleansing is actually called in biological terms as the glymphatic system. So the GL is glia and the lymphatic system, it's a hybrid term that they coined. It's a relatively new concept in biology. It's this concept that there is active rather than passive transport and exchange of the fluid that kind of bathes your brain. So this is a cerebrospinal fluid or CSF. And they've found, scientists have found that this whole active process of CSF exchange all around the brain and the neurons is much more active when you sleep. You're listening to What's Work Got To Do With It, your go-to resource on all things workplace safety, health, and well-being. This podcast series invites you into the conversation as we discuss how our workplace conditions like work hours, occupational stress, job safety, and other issues affect our lives at work and at home. We go into the science behind it all and talk about what we can do to reduce work-related risks and promote well-being. This podcast is a production of the Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences and Oregon Healthy Workforce Center. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by myself, Helen Shuckers, written by Anjali Ramishbabu, and music provided by Sam Greenspan. Community feedback is important to us, so if you enjoy listening to what's work got to do with it, please consider leaving us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. We really appreciate your continued support. Thanks so much for tuning in to What's Work Got to Do With It. We are so happy to have you here today. On today's episode, we will be interviewing one of our very own affiliate faculty members here at the Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences, Dr. Miranda Lim. She's not only a physician trained in neurology and sleep medicine, but she's also a sleep scientist studying wearable technology to improve the quality of deep sleep. So from the title of this podcast, Brain Cleansing Technology, Better Sleep for a Better Tomorrow, you're probably curious on what that all means. Well, we have Dr. Lim here to break it all down for us, to tell us more about the study that she's currently conducting with the Department of Defense. And we'll also be giving a bit more background about her research in general. So we're going to go ahead and dive right into our interview with Dr. Miranda Lim. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll definitely catch you on the other side of the interview. Dr. Miranda Lim is a neurologist with board certification in sleep medicine. She's an associate professor in neurology with secondary appointments in behavioral neuroscience and medicine in the OHSU School of Medicine, as well as she's an affiliate faculty here at our institute, Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences. Dr. Lim has a joint appointment as a staff physician and research investigator at the Veterans Affair Portland Healthcare System. Dr. Lim's research program, Sleep and Health Applied Research Program, or called SHARP, focuses on the understanding of function of sleep in neurological disorders across the lifespan. Some examples include autism spectrum disorder, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and aging neurodegenerative disease. As a translational neuroscientist, her research program is known for its bi-directional, translational research spanning between preclinical and human studies. Methods used including conducting sleep studies, such as sleep manipulations and sleep interventions, as well as qualitative analysis of sleep, and implementing non-obstructive long-term wearables. Some examples include actigraphy, mattress sensors, and using machine learning to quantify sleep. Over the years, Dr. Lim's research has been published in many high-impact journals. Some include Nature Science, Journal of Clinical Investigation, Science Translational Medicine, Science Advances, 
as well as support from many federal and foundation resources such as National Institutes of Health, Department of Defense, American Sleep Foundation, Center for Aging and Technology, Portland VA Research Foundation, and many more. And we'll definitely drop more information about Dr. Miranda Lim's research and funding in our show notes. Thanks so much for joining us today, Miranda. We are very, very excited to have this discussion with you on our podcast today about your research. I've just been hearing so many wonderful things and been um, really eager to get onto a podcast episode with you here on What's Work Got to Do With It. And as far as our listeners, um, we would just love to get to know more about you. And um, I know you're a scientist at the Veterans Affair here in Portland, and you're also affiliated at our institute, Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences. And would you um, start off by telling our listeners about your research and maybe provide some overview on your research program and how it fits into the overall mission of our institute? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you so much, Helen, for having me and hosting this podcast. Um, so I do wear a lot of hats. Um, I'm a physician, so I'm trained in neurology and sleep medicine, um, and I do maintain an active clinical practice. Um, the other hat I wear is I'm a scientist, so I run a pretty large research program. Uh, we have about a dozen or so full-time staff. Um, they range from junior investigators, staff scientists, um, postdocs, PhD students. We also have medical students and undergraduates from various universities in the Portland metro area. And then of course, um, research coordinators and assistants who are really the workhorses of our lab. Um, and my research program is called SHARP. So it stands for uh, Sleep and Health Applied Research Program. And our general mission is, you know, we're, we're really interested in studying the function of sleep. So what is sleep for? And also what are the consequences of disrupted sleep? And finally, you know, how can we manipulate sleep so that we can enhance this function, whatever that may be? We do specialize in studying a, a few um, populations of interest. We are interested in neurological and neurodegenerative diseases. So for example, we study the impact of sleep in patients with traumatic brain injury, TBI, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And, and we now know actually that neurotrauma like TBI and PTSD are risk factors for the later development of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease and other neurodegenerative conditions. With regard to, you know, my affiliation with the Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences, you know, we know that these conditions are really highly relevant uh, because there's chronic stress and just workplace injury, workplace injuries on the job, hazards, um, people get concussions, and, you know, really the chronic stress conditions, I think, are very relevant to just PTSD and that phenotype. So it's been very important for us to come up with ways to mitigate the long-term consequences of this chronic stress and injury as it relates to the workplace or other. Yeah, there certainly is a lot of crossover in the work that you're doing and the work that we're doing at our institute with all of the sleep research that's going on with shift work and being on the job with injury prevention. So, and also, you know, there's a lot of things that happen outside of work that can impact um, how we um, live our day-to-day -day lives. And I think it's very fascinating to learn about the different implications of not getting enough sleep. And I know me personally, you know, I, I definitely struggle with that as well. And just overall, I think as society and the community as a whole, we're always looking for that 
for that intervention or you know strategies to help us sleep better so we can show up for ourselves and the people that we love around us so a lot of great work that you're doing very excited yeah it's always personal it's okay (laughs) yeah definitely sleep is very personal and something that we spend most of our lives doing besides working right I I want to definitely learn more about the research that you're doing. And first off, congratulations on your latest research grant. Thank you. In your latest study, it is funded by the U.S. Uh, Department of Defense, and it's a three-year project, and it involves a head-worn device to enhance sleep. We'll get into that a little bit later on, but can you first tell us more about this project and what it involves, the goals around that, and um, just the population that you're trying to reach in this study? Sure, I'd be happy to. So uh, the study was really just a fun idea at first, um, and it started with a team of us who you know, had worked together on other projects before. Um, I wanna mention the team leaders. Uh, so there's Don Tucker, um, who is uh, the CEO of Bell Labs. Uh, this is a company that is manufacturing the device. Um, Don Kernagus is the co-PI and she's at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And then um, beyond that, there's also multiple collaborators, uh, including Jeff Iliff, who was the first to describe the glymphatic system in the brain. And this is the system of brain cleansing that I'm excited to tell you about in a little bit. (laughs) Um, But that's really sort of the foundation of um, this project. Uh, Other collaborators include Swati Rain, and then we have collaborators at the University of Florida and the University of Montana, as well as at OHSU, all working together on this single DOD-funded study. So it's really multidisciplinary, and it's been so much fun. Um, But the, the idea came out of this need to have better interventions to improve sleep. Um, And not only to improve sleep, but by proxy also to improve the long-term consequences of poor sleep, you know, and as I alluded to earlier, this includes like an increased risk for neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's disease. Um, And so originally when we were thinking about the population to target, we were thinking about military service members on the job, but this also includes veterans who are no longer active duty, but might still be suffering from the persistent sleep disturbances related to their injuries in the service, so TBI and PTSD. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, in the beginning, I am a clinician, and this is my clinical population of interest, um, and I have a clinic at the VA where I see these patients, so it's something I think about on a daily basis. And so overall, I, I think there is really great potential if this device works um, to apply the sleep intervention, maybe even to other populations outside of this first population we're focusing on. I'm just thinking about perhaps shift workers or others who might have trouble sleeping, really anyone, maybe early Alzheimer's disease. The idea for this device, and I, I guess I'll preface this with some background about why the current sleep interventions we have just aren't working all that well. So for decades before this, pharmaceutical companies have really just focused on finding ways to get us more sleep. So medications that increase your total sleep time. And unfortunately, a lot of those medications end up having side effects. So even though you've slept a lot longer, say nine hours instead of seven hours, you still wake up feeling unrefreshed and maybe even hungover. And the issue is there really just is no magic pill that replicates our natural sleep. Like all of these medications kind of force more unnatural sleep stages. 
And nothing we have so far is this magic bullet. As I mentioned, all the sleep medications have side effects. And we have natural cycles of sleep that humans go through that probably are important in and of themselves, this natural cycling. There are non-medication approaches uh, that we sleep clinicians use a lot. Uh, there's lifestyle changes. You can have good sleep hygiene. You can encourage um, things like dietary supplements and prescribe cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. These are all non-medication approaches, uh, but they do take a certain amount of dedication and motivation and really intellectual capacity too and time to optimize them and they may not be you know the final answer either so with all this background you know we came up with the idea that you know there's maybe this device that people can wear that can directly stimulate our naturally occurring brain waves during sleep and the idea is that you know during deep sleep uh, this is the stage of sleep that we're focusing on is non-REM sleep. It's a separate stage from REM sleep, which stands for rapid eye movement sleep. Non-REM sleep is thought to be the stage where you have these really large and slow oscillations. They're called, it's called slow wave sleep. And it's a highly synchronized and very deep stage of sleep where it's difficult to wake up out of. And it's a stage that we hit very early on in the night. It's when our brains naturally generate more of this when, when we're sleep deprived. And so many scientists believe that it's a marker of sleep debt. So how much sleep debt have you accumulated? How much have you been awake this, the period of time before that? And if you get a lot of non-REM sleep, people usually say that they feel very restored or refreshed the next day. And so we think that this is maybe one of the stages of sleep where the brain is undergoing more active cleansing and this is the stage of sleep we really wanted to go after for this device to kind of grab those slow waves and enhance them in a naturally occurring way. Yeah, when you talk about sleep debt, I'm like, hmm, I know what, yes. <laughs> what that means. We all know. <laughs> we know all what that means. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing all of the goals and even your collaborators. I actually watched the TED Talks on brain cleansing, and that was very interesting to learn about I think it's important to address this population. I myself live with a veteran and um, commonly have seen a lot of these types of sleep disturbances, whether it be from pain or other related uh, matters like PTSD. And so this subject is very dear, near and dear to my heart. Maybe this is something in the future that I can recommend to him if we see some good outcomes. Then I know we will in this study. Thanks so much for uh, sharing the background uh, in that. and. And you refer to brain cleansing during sleep. That sounds like a very complex <laughs> process. And that leads me to the next question is that the sleep device is designed to not only enhance our body's natural ability to cleanse our brain uh, during sleep, but, but what does that all mean? I know there's a lot of you know, biological elements behind that, but why is this important and how can this device potentially enhance or help in that process? So what you're calling brain cleansing, you know, is actually called in biological terms what I had referred to earlier as the glymphatic system. So the GL is glia and the lymphatic system, it's a hybrid term, um, you know, that, that they coined really just uh, a little over a decade ago. It's a relatively new concept in biology. Um, and it's this concept that there is active, rather than passive 
transport and exchange of the fluid that kind of bathes your brain. So this is a cerebrospinal fluid or CSF. And they've found, uh, scientists have found that this whole active process of CSF exchange all around the brain and the neurons is much more active when you sleep. Um, and I like to kind of come up with a an analogy, you know, or a visual of this um, that I've used before. And this is um, if you can picture like the city of Venice, you know, with all of its canals. Imagine, you know, there's trash that's generated by people that live in the city and the trash is being carted away by boats along these canals. So imagine during the daytime when there's a lot of activity in the city, these boats are slow moving, maybe there's a lot of congestion. And imagine at nighttime when the city sleeps, then these boats are moving a lot faster. Uh, and what we don't know biologically yet is, are the boats moving faster because there's an increase in the size of the canals and the water or the volume of the water? Or is it because there's actually active pumping of the water faster through the canals? We don't totally know the mechanisms yet, um, but these scientists, the collaborators on this project that I mentioned, Jeff Eiliff, he's actively investigating the system, you know, in, in animal models. Um, what we don't know about sleep in the glymphatic system yet is, and this is a big question mark, how to study this in humans. Everything that's been done up until this date, 99% of it has been done in rodents and mice and we know how the mouse lymphatic system works really well, but we don't know if that's if it's the same in humans or not. And so a big part of this funded study, this DOD project, is to directly visualize the lymphatic system in human brains. And this is why we're working with such a large team, people at the UNC, uh, Chapel Hill, and University of Washington, and actually the folks in Montana are actually doing some of the MRI analysis, which is involves like chemical engineering. We're developing a technique, uh, a novel technique using MRI scans. So this will be a non-invasive way to visualize lymphatics in in the sleeping human brain. One other thing we don't know, <laughs> we know there's a lot we don't know, um, but another, yet another thing is, you know, once we are able to visualize the glymphatic system in humans, well then, how are we going to be able to modulate this and optimize the system so that we can improve brain health? And that's the second half of the project, which is where our device comes in. It's this transcranial electrical stimulation device. And as I mentioned, Don Tucker, who's the CEO of Bell Company, uh, they're based in Eugene, Oregon. They invented a way to directly stimulate brain waves during slow wave sleep through the skull. So there's electro electrodes that are placed on either temple uh, and there's a very small current that's passed through the skull uh, into the brain as it's generating a slow wave. And the idea is that it will catch the exact moment that the brain is naturally generating these oscillations on its own and then push them even larger and longer. And our idea is really just, it's similar to how a pacemaker in the heart might synchronize, you know, the electrical activity of the heartbeat, uh, but it's, you know, for the brain. I appreciate you painting the picture of the boats in, in Venice as an example of brain cleansing. That was very helpful. And, and I think this shows, just gives us a very good example of uh, teaming up with industry, right? Research, meeting the industry, and how we can work together and collaborate to create technologies that will benefit um, not only the science, but also 
uh, what can we do further in terms of getting to a place that we can study different types of devices to eventually bring them to market one day. And of course, this is just like the very, it sounds like this is the very beginning of this type, type of technology and just figuring out how to capture essentially a snapshot of an or an image of what's going on is something that hasn't been done before. So I think that in itself is an exciting discovery to follow along in your study and altogether just for um, neurology as a field too. So that's really, really fascinating and great to hear. And I think overall, a lot of people might wonder uh, what is the hope in terms of what you would like to learn from this study? I know you briefly gave us a little bit of that in the previous question, but is there anything in particular that you're hoping to find out or what was your hypothesis, you know, to, oh, to kick things off? <laughs> You don't have to go too too yeah. far into it, but those questions may also vary depending on the collaborator that you work with as well. But just as a study as a whole, what do you hope to learn? Oh, we have so many hopes, Helen. <laughs> I can, I'm glad you asked. Hopes and dreams, right? I mean, this is all about sleep, right? Well, um, you know, uh, as I uh, alluded to uh, earlier, I, I still think our first and foremost hope is to be able to visualize the glymphatic system in action. And this is, again, something that has eluded uh, many scientists over the past decade uh, because all of the studies that have been in, done in mice are very invasive. And so we are hoping to be able to do this using a non-invasive MRI technique that will be scalable and um, accessible to any institution or really anywhere that has MRI scanning. So that would just be amazing, I think, as a just in and of itself as a biological marker of brain health, you know, for any application. Our second hope, uh, you know, is to test this new electrical stimulation device and to see if it actually can directly stimulate and synchronize slow waves during sleep. Um, and our hope is that this device will actually increase the time spent in deep sleep. You know, we don't know that for sure yet. We have some pilot data, but it hasn't been rigorously tested. And third hope is that Doing this, increasing the time spent in deep sleep, will actually yield, you know, potentially immediate and also beneficial effects on our brain biology. So it's a lot of hopes <laughs> riding on this study, but I think whatever we find will be interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of good goals to aim for and hopefully for the future as well in, in this type of research. And it also got me thinking on the long-term application value of this device and where do you see it being most utilized? I know that's probably a load question at this point, but what are some potential benefits of this device? And I know that you're studying certain populations through veterans, especially with Alzheimer's and uh, traumatic brain injuries. Um, are you hoping for this to reach other populations as well? I, I think, you know, in just looking at the big picture, this something like this device could have tremendous potential not just for the long-term gains, which we've talked a lot about, you know, this clearance, clearing the trash, uh, you know, and people who are at high risk for neurodegenerative diseases that are otherwise accelerated by the lack of sleep. I mean, that I think is, you know, a really big population of interest. Um, but I think, you know, we haven't quite talked about the potential for short-term gains. Um, and, you know, like in the normal healthy person, if they have a, 
night of shift work, you know, and the next day they have a big day where they really have a lot of responsibilities and they need to drive long distances because they're dropping off kids at school or whatever. I mean, I, I can see using this device on an intermittent basis, perhaps for short term gains where you really need to feel rested and restored the next day. And again, there's a lot that has to be done to prove that, you know, in between where we are right now with the device and the prototype stage and getting to that, but I could see that potential. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of populations that we work with, like firefighters who do That's shift right. work that have exactly. to be on a certain number of hours. I mean, we work in a hospital institution that people have to do that all the time. And I know people personally that have to work 12, 16 hour shifts somehow have to get up, turn around, take care of kids, or even have their own lives with their own significant others. And it becomes exactly. really difficult to not only function day to day, but let alone get enough sleep, as well as balancing a lot of physiological impacts for that too. So yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful that this can be a good stepping stone in, in giving us some uh, future benefits in where we see uh, sleep go in terms of technology. and. I know I've been really <laughs> excited to talk about the technology part because I love technology and I like to keep up with the latest technology and I would love to learn more about the technology behind this device and we know that this technology is still proof of concept and a prototype. Uh, are there challenges that you've also faced with this device so far and in terms of development of it? And then has this been tested in previous studies? Because I know people might be curious how this even came about to reach the, the scale of it's time to do a larger study for that. Oh, this will be a fun topic. <laughs> so yes, the challenges of technology and device development. I've learned a lot, had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but yeah, you're right. This device is, I would say, in its infancy. There is a prototype device that was tested on 10 subjects. And we published this in the journal uh, called Sleep Medicine last year. And that prototype device did increase slow wave sleep by about 10 minutes in total which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, if you think about how we cycle through different stages of sleep during the night, we might have a couple hours of slow wave sleep across the entire night. And so we're increasing the total amount of really deep slow wave sleep by about 10%. The issue was that, you know, that was really just a very small pilot study. We weren't able to look at this new MRI sequence to see if 10 minutes of increased slow wave sleep is enough to affect lymphatic function because we didn't have the MRI sequence back then. Um, and so really we just don't know if the stimulation parameters that were used in the pilot study are quote unquote enough to affect the biology. And we also don't really know if people, how people feel when they wake up and if their performance, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, your, your, the need to be alert and be on, you know, in your job, like we don't know if, 10 minutes of more slow wave sleep is going to be enough to, to improve that. And so those are all metrics we're incorporating in this slightly larger study, which is still not like a full randomized controlled trial. It's still like we still have a ways to go. And so that that's what I've learned so far with the pilot study of this device. I will say that we've still been iterating even since that paper came out. There is a long way to go in making the device more comfortable. In that pilot study, people only wore it for a few nights. But, you know, if you think about this being a potential long-term intervention, like people may need to wear this every night for 
for a long time, maybe years. And so it's going to be really critical to make the device something that is truly wearable and people can sleep comfortably in it. Right now, the prototype is wireless, so that's great. You know, at least there's no wires, so it's not as bad as a, you know, a full night in-lab sleep study. Um, but it's still quite bulky. And right now we have the data transmitting to the cloud. And so, you know, I can access it and other people can read it. But, you know, it'd be nice eventually to have maybe a smartphone interface or an app. You can think about all kinds of add-ons that would be, would make it much more user-friendly. Uh, we've just had a, uh, some really fun challenges in the development, and I think it will continue to iterate and get better and better. I have a few key takeaways from that, and <laughs> you might laugh, but if I could get 10 more minutes of sleep every morning, I do hit the snooze. I would <laughs> say that that would be a win in my book. So, and this is deep sleep. <laughs> this deep is real, you know, yeah. this is like the high quality sleep. Yeah. So, I know, I know, a difference. I many hope. people would be very appreciative. <laughs> 10 minutes of extra sleep doesn't sound like a lot, but it really, I feel like in the long term, when you compound that, it, it can make a difference. And you're speaking about the technology of um, just the interface and how it is, you know, potentially could be a smaller footprint one day. And any new technology that develops is going to go through so many iterations as you go through the stages, whether it be in this study or even through future studies. I just think of like, even Apple iPhone, just look at how many oh, right. of bulkiness to now what it is today is really just a process that I admire so much. You know, these technologies that come out, I think for the most part, people are just willing to wait until <laughs> every version that it comes out. So if this is version one and it's, this it is definitely this, yeah, <laughs> if it can solve this problem or a problem for somebody in the future, it can only improve from there. So I think right. you're, right. you're off to a great start and your teams are off to a great start. And, and that really leads me to just some key takeaways from our great conversation today. We always like to leave our listeners with with some takeaways at the end of the show. And of course, any resources that you talk about today, we will definitely include those in our show notes, publications or any helpful information uh, about this uh, research. We'll definitely include those for people to tune into post-show, but we would just love to know some key takeaways that you would like to send off to people that are listening today on what's work got to do with it. Sure, yeah. I I think it's always helpful to take a step back and kind of frame what we know about sleep and what we used to think about sleep. Um, and, you know, it's pretty well known that the average adult spends about eight hours sleeping every day, which, you know, is equivalent to an entire third of our lives spent asleep. And it's interesting because a couple decades ago, People used to think that, gosh, that's so much time wasted, right? I mean, all that time could be spent, you know, doing other more productive things, right? And that if you need to sleep, it's kind of like a weakness, you know, that you should minimize or conquer, right? Um, and it's, I think it's only recently that we've started to recognize the importance of sleep. And, you know, just in the past few years, we're starting to recognize it's not just about the total duration of sleep, but actually how much of that time spent asleep is in high quality sleep, you know, this restorative sleep and that this restorative sleep that may be tied to glymphatic function. So I think it's just, you know, overall a really exciting time for everyone to be studying the function of sleep and glymphatic biology, 
you know, and hopefully we'll soon be able to connect the dots between sleep, lymphatics, and brain health. And I think there could be a lot of people who could benefit. It always leads me to the interconnectedness of just our whole bodies, right? Without the well-being of all these different systems working together, it really, um, there could be some implications behind that. And as, as more studies come out, we learn different strategies or technologies or ways of improving our sleep. So I think moving forward, if one study allows us to get a takeaway or an outcome that could progress how what we think about sleep, I think is already an important piece of what we can discover in the future in this research. So I think that is where we're going to end it today. I, I probably have five or 10 more questions I could ask you today, but well, anytime, Helen, <laughs> that might be a part two. And um, yeah. I always like to tell our guests that we would always love to follow up with future studies and research that's going on, not just at the Institute, but beyond that as well. And we would love to maybe have a part two, maybe in the many years to come, once we find out more about this technology and what you have seen um, in the lab. So thank you. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Yeah, anytime. Thanks so much for your time today. And we'll definitely (laughs) keep in touch beyond this and share any knowledge on our blog and social media on any future research before we bring Miranda back on. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Do you have an idea for a podcast episode or are you interested in being a guest on our podcast? Well, we want to hear from you on those important workplace issues that you would like to discuss. Please email us at occhealthsci at ohsu.edu. That's O-C-C-H-E-A-L-T-H-S-C-I at ohsu.edu. If you want to stay updated on current research, resources, news, and community events, consider following us on our Oregon in the Workplace blog or our social media channels. You can find us on facebook.com slash on Twitter at ohsuocchealth, or you can find us on LinkedIn by searching Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.